a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. You know, if there was ever a time to uh, revel in wrong think, I think now is that time. Joining me is my friend Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Eric, how are you today? Well, good. I'm not sure how much longer we'll get to revel, though. You know, uh, channeling Pastor Nymaller, first they came for Tucker. <laughs> right. Next, they're probably going to be coming for us. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit. I know Tucker Carlson is top of mind for a lot of people right now. Give mm-hmm. me your thoughts on Fox News, uh, you know, parting ways with him. Well, I, I think actually it was almost foreseeable after the whole Dominion debacle when they caved to that lawsuit and agreed to pay uh, what was it, seven hundred million dollars, and uh, do the mea culpa tour about daring to question that a private company, a private company, somehow has acquired control over our balloting, and we're not permitted to see the inner workings of how they collect and tabulate the votes because it's proprietary. So, you know, having caved on that front, I'm not surprised that they caved on the second front. You know, AOC and some of these other leftists have been shrieking for Tucker's blood, and uh, the Murdochs gave it to them, and. You know what? Uh, they'll reap what they sow. Fox will now become another CNN and will fade off into the sunset uh, as being uh, as irrelevant as CNN has become. Yeah, I, I don't doubt Tucker's going to land on his feet just because uh, I think well, I'm not saying he's perfect, but uh, the guy has done a pretty good job of pulling back the curtain on some things that are rather inconvenient to the regime. And I appreciate him for sure, that. Sure, he wasn't just a mouthpiece. He wasn't just another talking head. I don't say that I agreed with the guy all on, on every jot and tittle, but the point was that he actually had something to say. And he said it. He was pretty fearless, and kudos to him for that. And it seems that any, every single journalist in a prominent position who has done that uh, has been vilified and excoriated. You know, you and I can remember, and you know, at first people thought it was just, just you know, no, nothing to worry about, when uh, they went after Alex Jones, who was kind of a quote-unquote fringe character, and they deplatformed him and they demonetized him. And the significance of that was not lost on us. We knew that they would start by going after people who were easy to go after, like Alex Jones. And then uh, if, if that were not stopped on the principle that, hey, it's wrong to go after somebody just because you disagree with what they're saying, that they would push and push and further. And now we're at the point where somebody who's pretty mainstream like Tucker is in the crosshairs. And what's going to happen next, I think, is they're going to actually try to criminalize any form of of speech that doesn't conform to the leftist narrative. Very, very likely. I I absolutely have the sense that the noose is is tightening. And isn't it Mm -hmm. interesting, too, that with the, the Dominion, the settlement with Dominion and Fox News, now we're hearing the spin that, well, see, this this proves there was nothing wrong with the 2020 election, as if sure. somehow the election and its incongruities had been, you know, litigated when, in fact, it hadn't. And I think the best explanation I've heard, Andy Frizzella says, Fox News settled because it would have been more damaging for all of their internal operations and procedures to come out in discovery than to just simply pay up the money and, you know, make the problem go away. Sure. You know, the thing that most fair-minded people want is simply uh, a vetting of the votes, not a recounting of the votes that were cast. They always try to frame it that way. We were counting the votes multiple times. That's not the point. People want to find out whether the votes that were cast were legitimate. And it's outrageous that a private company, I mean, it's hilarious to me and, and also incredibly saddening that people on the left in particular 
are somehow defending a private corporation, a private corporation that has control over our, our balloting system. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think there's also this is a great distraction from the uh, the cover up of the spiking of the you know Hunter Biden laptop story, which sure. you know look Hunter Hunter is is a guy who doesn't have a whole lot of self control, but that was never the issue. The issue was what was on his computer that showed his dad, you know Joe Biden, had uh, had sure. sold favors and sold political influence that would have likely influenced some people in in the election. But it was spiked and it was, uh, you know, done in by a, a letter signed by 50 intelligence uh, agency people swearing it was just Russian disinformation. Yeah, every time the, the reeking criminality of the Biden family, the whole family, begins to waft upward, uh, it's always whack a mold out of the public consciousness by some new manufactured issue, uh, whether it's this, this, this circus with regard to the Dominion thing in Fox or uh, the kicking out of Tucker. And it's interesting also, speaking of that, that within hours of Tucker having been kicked out, they, uh, they, they got rid of Don Lamont over at CNN, too. So yep. to, to kind of create the impression of, oh, there's a partisan here. You know, look, it's somebody on the left who got, who got canned, too. Yeah, as, as if, uh, you know, Don had anywhere near the, the numbers of viewers that, that Tucker enjoyed. Yeah, isn't it astonishing? You know, the one thing that was successful at Fox News was Tucker's show. Uh, you know, the highest rated show, as I, as I understand it, uh, on major network TV, and that a corporation that ultimately is supposed to be about, hey, let's make money, let's do things that work that people actually want, uh, would get rid of their, their biggest star. It's astounding. Well, thankfully, at this uh, troubled time in our nation's history, uh, it's good to see that uh, once again, we will be able to enjoy the steady hand of Joe Biden, who has now declared he will be running for reelection. Yeah, and I've heard, I haven't confirmed this, but I've heard that the, the party, the Democrat Party, has said that they will not uh, put Biden up for debates against RFK Jr. And who's the other one who's potentially going to run? I Mary can't remember Ann, the person's Mary name. Marianne Williamson. That's it, exactly. You know, and, and what, again, it, isn't it incredible what the left has become? The same left that was supposedly all about populism, all about free speech. You know, and, and, and now they're doing everything to defend this latter-day Brezhnev, this gerontocrat who can barely string a few sentences together coherently prop him up uh, on top of Lenin's tomb, pull the string and let him wave his hand as the, uh, as the, as the crowd goes by. Yeah, we've, we've had, uh, we've had a couple of years a weekend at Bernie's and frankly, <laughs> it's not working out for me, but uh, I, I don't place a lot of faith in, in, you know, the presidential ca- campaigns on either side at this point. Um, Trump, no, I, I don't have, either. I like you. There are things I appreciate that Trump did, but the the longer we go and the the, the more um, he gets out there campaigning, the more I start to wonder has has he run his course? You know, is it time yeah. to 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 look for somebody who's who's not as polarizing? And he he has not uh, come to grips with his own, in my opinion, pathological pathological narcissism and his infantile calling of names and all of the things that that uh, make him look. Uh, frankly, unpresidential. And there is something to that. Rather than talking about the issues, you know, he, he makes jokes about Biden being a shuffling old man and things of that nature. And it, it just it gets tiresome after a while. I'm at the point of wanting to support RFK, though I'm not sure about that either, because some videos have come up about him uh, apparently uh, suggesting that people who deny climate science are effectively criminals and even ought to be put in jail. I I have the same reservations, and 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 it just brings me back to, um, I'm convinced there are no political saviors 
if we're if we're going yep. to if we're going to survive and then pull ourselves out of the mess that we're being driven into, um, that's going to have to happen starting at the individual level. And and frankly, I don't want to sound too pessimistic. I think the the national level politics is just going to have to collapse from the rot, and and we'll have to figure it out at a much closer, more local level. No, I think so too. And it's you know it's not just the individual level. I, I wrote a story this morning that. That, that touches on this in a way. Uh, Mazda is bringing out a new six-cylinder engine, uh, which is quite something. You know, the fact that that's remarkable tells us a lot. Uh, instead of replacing um, a six-cylinder with a small little two-liter engine or an electric car, they're actually bringing out a new six-cylinder engine in a rear-wheel drive platform at a price under $40,000. And, you know, that's kind of, I draw the parallel with people who just refuse to put on the face mask. Or, uh, and that enabled other people to look at that and go, hey, I'm taking mine off, too. And maybe Mazda's example will, will set in force, set in a, in a chain reaction uh, in motion. And other car companies will say, you know what? This EV thing makes no sense. We're going to start building cars that people want, that they want to buy, and that they can afford to buy. You know, I, I actually thought of you when I saw a, a picture this morning on Twitter. It was a uh, – actually, I guess it was, it was on another uh, discussion board. It was one of those uh, – are they Revian? Uh I can't remember. Yeah, that electric truck. Yeah, the electric truck. I, I saw one of those in town yesterday. Went, oh, that's the first one I've seen mm-hmm. around. But I just saw a picture of one on a flatbed being hauled mm-hmm. to somewhere, presumably where it could charge, uh, because uh, they were traveling across Wyoming, where apparently there aren't a whole lot of charging stations. <laughs> they should have grabbed right. a, grabbed an electrical can and, you know, walked to the nearest electricity station to stock up, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, the truth is beginning to come out. You may have caught the uh, the footage that was taken from police body cams of uh, the Ford F-150s going up in smoke uh, just outside of the plant, which caused the uh, Ford to stop uh, production for uh, a couple of months, actually, wow. because of that issue. You know, yeah, and, and it, the truth dribs and drabs, it starts to come out. You know, we've talked about this before. There's a lag time sometimes in between uh, the moment when you think it's just this unstoppable juggernaut. Everybody's on board. And then, you know, people start to realize, you know, hey, there's, there's something sketchy here. This doesn't quite add up. And they begin to get skeptical, and the whole thing starts to come off the rails. I think that a lot of things are coming off the rails, and I think our job right now is just to, to hold tight and keep the faith. Here, here, Eric, we got to take a real quick break. Hang with me. We've got more important stuff okay. to discuss. Again, we're talking with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. By the way, if you visit my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com, you will find very prominently at the top of the page a nice link that will take you to uh, Eric's website, where you can spend a lot of happy hours uh, learning and, uh, well, becoming better informed. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest all right, Eric, something I'm not hearing the uh, mainstream media talk much about. In fact, I don't hear them talk at all about um, mm-hmm. the, the coming digital currency. And I guess FedNow mm-hmm. is is slowly but stealthily coming closer. For those not familiar with it, uh, draw a picture for us. What, what are we looking at with this digital currency? Oh, sure. Doesn't it sound all nice and chirpy and sunny? FedNow, what could be better? You know, they always use these, these kind of infantile-sounding names uh, to purvey something that's quite dark and sinister. And what it is is the Federal Reserve getting involved directly in our financial transactions. And they're trying to habituate people, in my opinion, to this central bank digital currency thing. Of course, the Fed, which is nothing of the kind, it's a private banking cartel that controls the money supply. 
wants to issue digital currency and use that digital currency not just to control the economy, as the Fed has done since it, since it was established, but to control us directly by uh, limiting our ability to transact business financially unless we're good, obedient, socially credit-worthy people. And this needs to be curb-stomped very quickly. They're going to try to sell this to people on the basis of, look how convenient it is, instantaneous transfers. You don't have to do any paperwork. You can, you can, you know, you can pay a bill that you forgot to pay quickly before you get any late fees and things of that nature. They need to understand what the object is here, which is to habituate people to this idea of non-physical money. Well, and and I, here's an angle, you know, maybe this is, maybe I'm wrong in thinking this, but having just got through with my taxes and experienced the pain of cutting a fat check to Uncle Sam, mm-hmm. um, I can't help but wonder if they're going to sell this on the part of, hey, look, you don't have to fill out your uh, tax forms anymore. Really? I don't? Nope. We'll just take what we need sure. from, from your account. Hmm? What? Wait, wait a second. I'm not sure that's yeah, such and a good they'll idea. They'll try to market it also in terms of so-called fairness, but you know, all of us, all of us pretty much. Uh, you know, we have little side gigs. We do things off the books. You know, we engage in transactions that Uncle doesn't know about. Now, can you imagine living in a world where Uncle knows every last detail about every little transaction you make, even down to the buying of a can of soda, and can dun you for every cent that you make? That's the kind of world that we're going to be living in. And it's not just about taking your money. It's about taking away your freedom. When they have control of your money, they'll be able to say, oh, you exceeded your carbon footprint for this month. No more gas for you didn't wear your, your mask, didn't take your vaccine, no more buying food for you. That's what they're going to do with this. Yeah, I think ultimately it all comes down to control. And and really, what's I guess the next thing that's needed is we just need another uh, another crisis, something to, to justify, you know, extraordinary measures that we wouldn't normally do, but oh boy, we have no choice. You know, bend over. Right. Well, and I, I, got, I got into that a little bit too, in, in, uh, you know, in a piece about, uh, I called it Headed Our Way. I guess it was the title of it. And I draw the point that the common thread running through all these crises, you can go back 30 years, it's always the, it, the crisis itself is different, but it always ends up leading to the same thing, which is more control for them, more power for them, less freedom for us. And if we don't begin to see that and cut through the crap and realize that they're just using fear to try to get us to comply, we're doomed. We've got to get a handle on ourselves. Well, and... I'll I'll admit, I'm trying my best to work it out. I know a lot of other people are trying to figure, how can I, you know, avoid being sucked into this Borg and assimilated along with Mm -hmm. those people who appear to be willingly (laughs) marching, you know, into it. And uh, it just, it's coming at us from so many angles. Sometimes it really feels overwhelming. Very much so. You know, I often feel exactly the same way. Uh, And even though, you know, like you, I'm I'm largely self-sufficient or at least more self-sufficient than than a lot of people and that I own my land out in the country and I, I have some means of producing my own food. But, uh, you know, if they succeed in putting this digital currency in place, I, I'll be as much under their thumb as anybody who lives in the city. I don't know what the option then is other than to go at, completely Amish or even just completely off the grid entirely and, and just become kind of a, uh, a, a, a off the radar person who's out in the woods someplace. And I hope it doesn't get to that. And I think the way we make sure that it doesn't is to just, not tolerate anything having to do with with CBDC at all. Agreed. And and for for people who aren't, uh, you know, who don't think about money except you know when they're worried that maybe there's too little in their bank account, it's it's really time to step up and and to become at least somewhat educated on you know why why is money what it is what isn't money. I I recommend the Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Ed Griffin as a great yeah. place mm-hmm. to start understanding the system that we're under and and the shift 
that it represented over 100 years ago. And another good way to look at this, I think, in, in that it's off-putting, is to, is to remember what it was like to be a little kid when mom and dad gave you an allowance. You know, they gave you a little money, but it was always in this, you know, supervisory kind of context, and mom and dad were in charge, and that's fine when you're seven years old. But imagine being 40 years old and having mom and dad be the Federal Reserve. And, uh, and not only that, but not really like mom and dad because they don't have your best interests at heart. You know, they're going to parent you all right, but not in a way that's designed to encourage you to be an independent, self-sufficient, mature adult, but to keep you in a state of perpetual childhood. Hear, hear. Um, let's take a moment to talk about uh, the next pandemic. Uh, it's, yeah. cl- it's clear that we're not seeing accountability on the part of the people who locked us down. I, I don't know if you saw the clip of uh, uh, Justin Trudeau gaslighting. Oh, we never tried to force anybody to get vaccinated, you know, and yeah, some, yeah. some people. Can you believe the gall of that guy? Sure. It's hallucinatory almost, but I guess they count on people being so PTSD that they don't remember. You know, I constantly encounter leftists on Twitter and elsewhere saying, Oh, we never forced anybody to, you know, we never said the vaccine would, would stop the spread, <laughs> things like that. Uh, it, it's, it's astounding. And you're right. You know, they have to be called to account because if they're not, they're still going to be in place. And if they're still in place, they're going to do the same things. These people are champing at the bit for the next pandemic. You can watch videos of Gates, for example, where he's got the sociopath smirk. That's what I call it. If you ever watch, you know, videos of serial killers like Ted Bundy, or if you watch OJ, when they're talking about something that, that, you know, sane people would regard with sadness or, or um, anxiety. They smile and they smirk while they're talking about it. And Gates has wow. that tick. And that tells you something about what his mindset is. Well, it's, uh, you know, it, it pushed me into the camp of, uh, okay, I am the resistance. And, and I don't care what names mm-hmm. they call me. I don't care, you know, if, if it causes people to ostracize me. Um, this was where I got committed and went, all right. You know, in or out, I'm out of whatever scheme they're trying to foist on us. And and I wonder, you know, they, they know what works, having, you know, experimented over the last three years. I just have to wonder what's in store, what may be coming up next, and, and how many people will fail to have learned from what we went through. That's an open question, but we can know with certainty how we'll uh, respond because we have that in our power. I'm a big fan of the Stoics and the Stoic philosophy, and, it, and it, you know, one of the principles is that you can't help the times uh, that you were born in and the trials that you may have to face in life. The question is how you handle them. And, you know, it's up to us how we handle them. You know, are we going to bend knee? Are we going to obey? Are we just going to go and do what they tell us to do for myself? No, come what may, I will not do that. Agreed. But it's the kind of thing you've got to suss out ahead of time. If, you know, if you wait until tyranny is standing on your doorstep, you know, with a needle in its hand, um, You've obviously waited too long. You gotta, you gotta make sure that you've got a spine in place ahead of time. Well, and we've got to grow up. You know, part of growing up, being a man or being a woman, uh, is is being prepared to take a stand and and not being afraid, doing what you have to do. Uh, not just uh, for your own sake, though that's important, but also for the sake of your kids if you have them, and for society generally. It takes a less selfish, a less childish point of view, and we need more of that. Here, here, Eric. Let's take about uh, take about a minute here and uh, tell our listeners uh, why they need to come and visit your website and what they're going to find once they get there. Well, hopefully, they'll find something informative and entertaining. I try to do both. I try to do or bring forth things that maybe people have not heard about, and also to give people uh, a place where they can go. It's not all about me. 
uh, we've got uh, both a reader forum and a good comment section where anybody who wants to uh, can say anything they'd like to about anything, you know, with obvious limitations. I'm not going to tolerate profanity-laced screeds, but unlike, say, Twitter or Facebook or any of these other social media platforms, EP Autos is a free, free speech zone. And and there's precious few of those things left <laughs> the further we get down the yep. road. All right, yep. Eric, great to visit with you as always. I feel a, a certain restoration to my sanity every time we talk. <laughs> and ditto and right back at you. All right, thanks again. I look forward to our conversation next week. Again, that's Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com, a marvelous resource for wrong thinkers. Stick around. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Well, if you didn't have a sense that uh, there is a war for your mind going on, uh, the events of the last couple of days at least ought to plant the notion that, well, maybe something's up. I'm specifically referring to, uh, you know, the uh, ouster of Tucker Carlson from Fox News. And I'm, I'm just going to be really blunt here. Uh, while, while I know that's concerning to people uh, for whom, you know, Fox News is a regular part of their diet. And uh, and, and frankly, I, I'm look, I, I'm bummed for Tucker in the sense that that was quite a gig. And he was definitely the most popular broadcaster on the Fox News network. But I OK, I'm, I'm trying to be an optimist here. He's a pretty sharp guy. I don't hold him up to a standard. Well, you know, nothing he says is wrong. He's he's made his mistakes along the way. Something I can respect about him is he at least has a willingness to own his mistakes. And so I think he's going to land on his feet. There will be other media alternatives, and and it's Fox News' loss. Um, in fact, I want to share with you a clip. This is about a two-minute-long clip from just uh, just recently. Tucker was on, I don't even know whose podcast this is. It's the uh, Full Send podcast. But he talks about some of the things he got wrong. But I want you to listen to a guy who has uh, has dominated a good portion of the television media now for, for quite some time. Wait till you hear the things that he explains that uh, he did not get right the first time through. Check it out. Like, I've spent my whole life in the media. My dad was in the media. Like, that is a big part of the revelation that's changed my life is the media are part of the control apparatus. Like there's no, yeah, I know, I know. Cause you're younger and smarter and you're like, yeah. Yeah. But what if you're me and you spent your whole life in that world and to look around and all of a sudden you're like, oh wow. Not only are they part of the problem but I spent most of my life being part of the problem defending the Iraq war. Like I actually did that. Can you imagine if you did that? Well, what do you think, what is one of your biggest regrets in your career? Oh, defending the Iraq war. That is it? Well, I've had a million regrets, not being more skeptical, calling people names when I should have listened to what they were saying. Look, when you when someone makes a claim, there's only one question that's important at the very beginning, which is, is the claim true or not? Mm. So I say, you know, you committed murder or you rigged the last election before you attack me as a crazy person for saying that. Maybe you should explain whether you did it or not. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And for too long, I participated in the culture where I was like, anyone who thinks outside these pre-prescribed lanes is crazy, is a conspiracy theorist. 
And I just really regret that. I'm ashamed that I did that. And, and partly it was age, partly it was the world that I grew up in. So when you, when you look at me and you're like, yeah, of course they're part of the means of control. I'm like, that's obvious to you because you're 28, but I just didn't see it at all, at all. And I'm ashamed of that. Isn't that what the media tries to do though? It, it's their only purpose. Right. They're not here to inform you, really? Even on the big things that really matter, like the economy and war and COVID and like things that really matter that will affect you. No, their job is not to inform you. They are working for the small group of people who actually run the world. They're their servants. They're their Praetorian guard. And we should treat them with maximum contempt because they have earned it. Wow. Well, you can see. <laughs> I think you can see why, uh, you know, maybe uh, Rupert Murdoch uh, was like, oh, maybe we need to get rid of this guy. But, um, you know, I hope that uh, Tucker Carlson lands on his feet. And, and it's been interesting to see the, spill, the spin, rather, that, uh, that has come out here. Um, this is right on the heels of a $700 million-plus settlement between Fox News and the Dominion voting machines. And, uh, you know, Andy Frazella had a very good take on this. He pointed out, you know, the, the press is trying to say, well, see, this proves there was no, no election fraud or there was no, you know, election hinkiness going on. No, it doesn't. That it proves nothing of the sort. And the way he explained it is he says what it proves is Fox News settled rather than litigating this and having everything come out, you know, in, in court. They settled it to protect what was left of their brand. In other words, uh, if, if they had taken this to court, perhaps it would have cast so much doubt on their methods, their their systems, the, the way they go about reporting, that it would have been more damaging in the long run to, to let it go that way than to simply fork over, you know, three quarters of a billion dollars to, to make the problem go away. But his point was, it has not been litigated. Nobody has litigated the... the um, Nobody's litigated the 2020 election. It, that has not been sorted out. Courts have sidestepped it. They've dodged it. They've ducked. They've dove. You know, they don't want to touch it. But there's another aspect of this, too. And actually, I'm going to turn to Ron Paul, senior statesman, asking the question, did Biden steal the election? Ron Paul says, move over, Watergate, on or around October 17th of 2020, then-senior Biden campaign official Antony Blinken called up former acting CIA director Mike Morrell to ask a favor. He needed high-ranking former U.S. intelligence community officials to lie to the American people to save Biden's lagging campaign from a massive brewing scandal. See, the problem was that Joe Biden's son, Hunter, had abandoned his laptop at a repair shop and the explosive contents of the computer were leaking out. The details of the Biden family's apparent corruption and the debauchery of the former vice president's son were being reported by the New York Post. And with the election less than a month away, the Biden campaign needed to kill the story. So according to newly released transcripts of Morell's testimony before the House Judiciary Committee, Blinken triggered Morell to put together a letter for some 50 senior intelligence officials to sign using their high-level government titles to claim that the laptop story had all the hallmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. In short, at the Biden campaign's direction, Morell la launched a covert operation against the American people to undermine the integrity of the 2020 election. A letter signed by dozens of the highest-ranking former CIA, DIA, and NSA officials would surely carry enough weight to bury the Biden laptop story. Well, as you know, it worked. 
Social media outlets prevented any reporting on the laptop from being posted. The mainstream media could easily ignore the stories. It was merely Russian propaganda. Asked recently by Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan on why he agreed to draft the false sign-on letter, Morell testified that he wanted to, quote, help Vice President Biden because I wanted him to win the election. Come again? Morell also likely expected to be named by President Biden to head up the CIA when it came time to call in favors. Now, Ron Paul says the Democrats and the mainstream media have relentlessly pushed the lie that the ruckus inside the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, was a move by President Trump to overthrow the election results. Hundreds of trespassers, that's in quotation marks, were arrested and held in solitary confinement without trial to bolster the false narrative that a conspiracy to steal the election was taking place. Well, it turned out that there really was a conspiracy to steal the election. But it was opposite of what was reported. Just as the Steele dossier was a Democrat Party covert action to plant the lie that the Russians were pulling strings for Trump, the Russian disinformation campaign letter was a lie to deflect scrutiny of the Biden family's possible corruption in the final days of the campaign. So Ron Paul asks, did the Biden campaign's disinformation campaign help rig the election in his favor? Well, polls suggest that Biden would not have been elected had the American electorate been informed about what was on Hunter Biden's laptop. So, yes, they cheated in the election, or at least they unduly influenced the election. And Ron Paul says the Democrats and the mainstream media are still at it. However... They're now trying to kill the story of how they killed the story of the Biden laptop. Now, his point is very simple. This is a scandal that once upon a time would have ended in resignation, impeachment and or plenty of jail time. And he says, if they successfully bury this story, I hate to say it, but there is no more rule of law in what has become the American banana republic. You know, there's times I I know it's not healthy to go around with with bad feelings, especially contempt you know, for other people. But um, what I feel for for much of the mainstream media is is pretty close to contempt. And it's not, well, you know, anybody could get something wrong. It's, it's the willful lying, the willful deception, the spin, and, and, and just the outright uh, celebration of everything that, uh, that denies reality. It's, it's really sickening, which this is one of the reasons why. I consume as little mainstream media content as possible. Now, I do have a side gig. It's, it's called Nowhere to Hide, and I do this on behalf of the Idaho Freedom Foundation, where I go through, and each week, a couple times a week, I create videos that catalog some of the, the different examples of media spin and, and doctoring of information to try to lead us, you know, with a ring through the nose to uh, some conclusion that they would have us want to embrace. But other than that, it's, it's like, uh, I don't know, it's like mucking out a pigsty. Every time I have to, you know, open one of their websites and take a look and, okay, what are they spinning today? What are they reporting today? I feel dirty. And I can only justify what I'm doing by saying, well, I'm hopefully helping people see some of the inconsistencies and learn to see through, you know, the deception and see through the smokescreen. I've been working at it a while, been getting better at it over the years. It's a skill I think that we all need to develop. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out to my sponsors. Love these folks for making this program possible. They include MonticelloCollege.org, TMCPNation.com. That's my friend John Harvey. By the way, I'm going to have him back on the show here real soon. Also, Borelli.com and LifesavingFood.com. You can just check out any of these sponsors through the links I provide in my daily show notes. If you visit my website, thebrianhydeshow.com, you'll find special links that take you to them as well. Okay, couple stories to share with you in this uh, final segment. This is one that uh, that really grabbed my attention, mainly just because I have been spending more time in and out of hospitals and doctor's offices, not for myself, but uh, my mom's health is is not great. And so I've, I've been taking her to and from appointments and... Uh, I'm going I'm to choose my words carefully because there are some truly good, good people who work within the medical field. Now, having said that, what I see happening to the medical field is one of the most disturbing aspects of our current situation that I can think of. There is a form of medical tyranny that has taken root, particularly in the last three years, and you feel it. Remember that sick feeling you used to get when you'd have to go to the airport? You know, and it's like, okay, you can either stand here in the porno scanner or uh, this uh, TSA officer can touch your pee-pee. That's, uh, here's, those are your choices, but you have to shed your uh, dignity at some level. And, you know, you're not a free person when you're here. There's, everything here is to remind you we are in control. I'm kind of getting a similar vibe every time that I go to, to visit to the doctor's office or every time I go to visit the hospital. And it's not just the mask thing. I mean, there's signs of no weapons of any kind allowed in here. And, you know, you must do this. You must do that. And we need all the. It's just it's it's bureaucracy writ large. And of course, there's that that crossover that uh, that weird melding of government and and private industry. They'd call it a private public relationship, but it's very, very disturbing. But this is the part that really gets me. This is an article I picked up off intellectualtakeout.org. The author is Giancarlo Canaparo. Medical schools look for activists, not healers. Now, the author says, what qualities should medical schools look for in future doctors? Probably academic excellence, experience in the medical sector, loyalty to medical ethics, and good interpersonal skills. These are all characteristics that future doctors should have, but that's not what medical schools now emphasize. Do you know what the medical schools are looking for? They're looking for social justice zealots to advance the diversity, equity, and inclusion dogma. And you'll need to look no further than medical school applications. Because it's the top-ranked medical school in the nation, Americans expect Harvard Medical School to share their concern for academic excellence. But excellence is not Harvard's focus. You know what is? Identity politics. Harvard asks applicants to share an important aspect of their personal background or identity. And the school expressly suggests that applicants focus on significant challenges in access to education, unusual socioeconomic factors, identification with a minority culture, religion, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or gender identity. Now look, although a rags-to-riches story is heartwarming and a tale of uh, two or more genders is trendy, whether a medical doctor aced anatomy and physiology really should be more important. Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine at least makes this pandering optional in its application process, but still, it too neglects one of the most germane aspects of a medical school application, namely, whether the applicant has any relevant experience in the field of medicine. Whether it be an internship, EMT work, or shadowing at a hospital, you'd think experience related to medicine would be central to your application success. 
Instead, Hopkins cares about applicants' experience as part of a minority group, whether because of your sexual orientation, religion, economic status, gender identity, ethnicity. In other words, for Johns Hopkins, experience in a minority group seems to trump experience with a scalpel. Ditto for Duke University School of Medicine. One question about identity politics isn't enough. They have to have three of them answered. They don't seem to want doctors to heal the body so much as they want activists to heal health inequities produced by race, gender, education, income, disability, geographic location, and sexual orientation. Is this sounding familiar? So it's, it's a pretty lengthy article. I would really encourage you to take a look at it. It's linked in today's show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. But keep in mind... The tragic irony, as with so many liberal policies, is that the primary victims of this malpractice will be none other than America's sick, elderly, and poor. But ultimately, everyone bears the risk that one day you're going to be treated by a doctor dumbed down by ideology. When you're on the operating table, are you going to care more about whether your surgeon is steeped in critical race theory or is dedicated to saving lives and improving health outcomes for his or her patients, regardless of their skin color, sexual orientation, or gender identity? So Giancarlo Canaparo says medical schools and other American institutions, for that matter, ought to prioritize excellence and merit. The alternative is national decay. I know it doesn't make me any more inclined to look forward to a a visit to the doctor, but I thought that was worth sharing. One other article, this is from Andrea Widberg from American Thinker, and uh, this is the great sorting that's taking place in America. Maybe you feel this too. There is definitely something that's afoot. There's a shift that's taking place, but we're kind of hard-pressed to define what that shift is. Andrea Widberg says, during busy news cycles, it's hard to write posts. By the way, I agree with her as I'm doing my show notes. I have the same problem. Every story screams for attention, creating analysis paralysis. She says, what struck me today, though, was that many of the stories we're seeing are part of something larger, which is what she calls the great sorting. All the old patterns are broken. People are rethinking their allegiances. Before the 21st century, the world's patterns were predictable. You could divide history into the era before the Soviet Union collapsed and after the collapse. Before, the world was neatly split into totalitarian and free, with Europe trying to straddle the middle with its soft socialism. America was about freedom, and it bent its energies and wealth to maintain its hegemony in the free world. As part of this freedom, it had a free market system that wrought extraordinary changes in the standard of living for those lucky enough to live in free or freeish nations. The Soviet Union, on the other hand, stood for totalitarianism. Only brute force will work to force people to live up to Marx's utopian demand of an economy that sees labored, labor rather divvied up from each according to his ability and to each according to his needs. So the rest of the globe served as a series of proxy battlefields for this epic struggle between the free and enslaved worlds. And then literally overnight, the Soviet Union collapsed. Americans blithely assumed that the free world had won and the hard work was over. They also assumed that American leftists, seeing the Soviet Union's collapse, would slink away and never be heard from again. Except that's not what happened. In fact, when liberty lovers let their guard down, the American left came back with a new strategy. It had already spent decades denigrating America, but always with an eye to imposing a socialist economy. Now, with America relaxed, leftists decided to take another look at her weaknesses. These were her racial history, her commitment to making a better world, and her naivete. From these weaknesses, leftists began to lay the groundwork in the 1990s for critical race theory, climate change madness, and gender madness. 
CRT played on American guilt about race. Climate change worked with Americans' guilt about affluence and their desire to make a better world. And gender madness exploited Americans' growing belief in a live-and-let-live philosophy as well as their abandonment of religion. With these trends, the Democrat Party went from being the working-class party whose members loved America to a hard-left institution that elected a president who promised he would fundamentally transform America. Obama led from behind, stirring up racial hatred, started to open the border, weakened the military, and presided over the breakup of the family, especially through LGBTQ plus movements. When ordinary Americans elected Trump, their support for him was in response to this fundamental transformation. And for four years, Trump tried to reverse the changes, so it was no surprise that the Democratic Party blocked him at every turn. However, what left him incapable of making lasting changes and denied him the momentum he needed to win in 2020, either with or without Democrat cheating, was that the Republican Party refused to support him. Lastly, there was the leftist's highly political response to COVID, which divided liberty lovers from those with totalitarian instincts. And at this point, many, many conservatives want nothing to do with the GOP. All of these trends have accelerated under Biden. All of them are exploding at a rate that's impossible for Americans to ignore. Now, she says, I've already posited that Tucker's departure from Fox may have resulted from an internecine battle between the new conservatives and the GOP people. However, for a lot of these changes, you don't need to speculate. Glenn Greenwald, a staple on leftist media for years, became a staple on Tucker and mourns his departure. Naomi Wolf, a feminist advisor to Al Gore in 2000, is a speaker at Hillsdale College. Jennifer Say, someone so leftist she appealed, she supported Elizabeth Warren, now speaks of the left in past tense after her opposition to school closures saw her driven from her prominent position at Levi's. So what's happening is a sea change, she says. The changes are accelerating. Americans' faith in science and medicine, in public schools, and also in academia, well, that's all uh, very uh, normative stuff in the 20th century. But we don't believe in them anymore. And she says, I can only wonder which is going to come first, America's collapse thanks to Biden's policies or its resurgence thanks to the great sorting. I'd say this is a good opportunity for folks like you and me to sort out where our hearts are. And if you haven't chosen a side, you should probably pick one soon. This is The Brian Hyde Show.